0: Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship this morning. It's such a joy to be here in the house of God this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. If we have not had a chance to meet, my name is Justin. I have the privilege of serving on our preaching team here at Mount Hope, and it's such a joy to be here this morning to worship the Lord together with you and to uh, be a part of beautiful baby dedication this morning. Uh, it's, a, it's a great honor and a privilege to be here. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to turn our attention to the book of Mark, the Gospel according to Mark you've been with us for the past few weeks, as well as the uh, middle of last year as well, we've been walking through the gospel according to Mark and seeing what Christ has to say to the church about so many of the things that took place as Jesus walked this earth. And so we're going to turn our attention this morning to Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 31. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 31. I'll start by reading just verses 13 to 16, and we'll get to the rest in just a little bit. It's a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. It's one of our favorites. It's one of our favorites to to read and to hear about, about Jesus loving and blessing children. It's something we've seen tons and tons of times depicted in beautiful artwork of this European man who was sitting in the middle with children of every race and nation coming to him. Uh, There's a Native American child there in the middle. They all came to Jesus coming for his blessing, coming to have him place his hands upon them and touch them and bless them. To us in this society, in a community that loves children, that values children, this is beautiful. There are pictures of this that we've seen all throughout our lives. If you pick up a children's Bible storybook, this is usually on the cover. It's Jesus holding and blessing children. It reminds me of a song that we used to sing as children. Jesus loves the little children Jesus loves, all, uh, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious. Very good. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. I remember seeing that as a child and thinking, red and yellow, black and white, where do I fit in all this? <laughs> it was the first time I ever wondered if Jesus loved me or not, and... <laughs> But we sing this song, and it reminds us of this moment of Jesus blessing children, something that Jesus cares so deeply about, something that he really values. And all through childhood, I used to read this portion of Scripture and think, why would Jesus say that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is for such as these that do not hinder the children, do not keep them from coming to me, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And I started to think, it must be because of the purity and the innocence of children that Jesus said that. But then I had children. (laughs) And I realized it wasn't for that reason either. (laughs) So what is the reason that Jesus said, do not hinder the children, let them come to me, for the kingdom belongs to them? There's something about the purity and the innocence of children. I want to read a little story to you guys. One Sunday morning, a pastor noticed little Alex was staring up at the large plaque that hung in the foyer of the church. The plaque was covered with names and small American flags were mounted on either side of it. The seven-year-old had been staring at the plaque for some time. So the pastor walked up to him, stood beside the boy and said quietly, Good morning, Alex. The little boy responded, Good morning, Pastor. Pastor, what is this? Alex asked as he pointed to the plaques. Well, son, it's a memorial to all the young men and women who died in the service. Soberly, they stood together staring at the large plaque. Little Alex's voice was barely audible when he asked, Pastor, was it your 8.30 service or your 11.31? <laughs> there is something about the innocence of children. There's something about the way they behave, something about the way they act, something about the questions they ask. A child was once asked to recite the Lord's Prayer, and he started like this, Our Father, who does art in heaven, Harold, be thy name. There is something about children that gets us to think about their innocence and their purity. But the truth of the matter is, church, what we heard today, what we read today, has so little to do with the innocence and purity of children and everything to do with the question that the disciples ask just a few minutes after what we just read. And we're going to get to that in just a second. So keep the little children in your mind. Keep the the, the story of Jesus blessing the children in your mind as we continue in the scripture portions that we're going to read this morning. So I'm going to follow up with Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. We read there like this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I have kept all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is wealthy or rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, and here's the question I want us to focus on today. Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much. In this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. If you've read the story about the rich young ruler as he is known in Scripture, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all detail this account about this rich young man or this rich young ruler who was wealthy, who had youth, and who had power. Three things that many of us strive to have, strive to get, strive to achieve in this lifetime. He had all of them. He had exactly what it would take to be a success in his community, in his society. That day after Jesus had just blessed the children, shortly after that, this young ruler of great wealth and likely fame runs to Jesus and bows before him. And let's not overlook that part. Because sometimes when we read this story, we're so quick to point out the flaws in this young man that he was holding his wealth in higher esteem than Jesus. But we don't stop and think how moral and righteous this man appeared in many ways. In the Middle East at that time, especially if you were a person of substance and note in your community, you wouldn't run, first of all, in front of people. Running was something you didn't do in front of people because it was embarrassing to run in front of society as they watched you. He not only runs, but he runs and he kneels before Jesus. It shows his humility and his humble heart. He comes before him and he even says, good teacher, look at the respect he shows for Jesus. Everything on the outside looks perfect, it looks right, it looks good. If this man does not deserve heaven, then who does? But as Jesus starts to unpack a conversation with this rich young ruler, things start to take a little bit of a turn that maybe he did not expect. He starts by going back and forth with him about the term good. And so much of what we'll talk about this morning comes back to the word good. Don't good people get to heaven? Don't good people get to go and spend eternity with Jesus Christ? Church, I want to let you know that there's a lie that the devil has sold our society, that the enemy has sold our world in this generation and generations prior to this. A lie that simply states, good people go to heaven. It's interesting, right? Doesn't that go against everything we've ever heard and believed? Wait, don't good people go to heaven? Don't good people get to eternal, inherit eternal life? And as Jesus interacts with this rich young man, you start to realize it takes more than being good to inherit eternal life. That sometimes we have a misunderstanding of this term good, this word good and what it means to be good, that we sometimes confuse what gets us into heaven with my work, what I can do, who I can be, and if I'm good, I get to go to heaven. There's a couple of questions that we have to ask ourselves there. According to whose judgment and whose scale are we good enough? Are we good enough to get into heaven? How much good do I have to do? Because I'll be honest with you, when I was younger, I used to think that there's this eternal cosmic scale. And as long as my good outweighs my bad, I'm okay. Even if I do one more good thing than I did bad things, I'm okay. I'll get to see God. I'll get to see heaven. I'll get to live in eternity with him. In many ways, this is what happened to the rich young ruler. He had all the morality, all the righteous deeds, and all the righteous behavior externally. But as Jesus starts to talk with him, you start to realize maybe there's a little bit more going on on the inside than not being shown on the outside. And the conversation begins. Let's take a step back there and look. Jesus asks him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Jesus names six of the commandments. And the response of the rich young man is very important. He says, teacher, I have kept all of these since I was a little boy. I have never failed on a single one of these. Surely I am righteous enough to inherit eternal life. Maybe we should unpack unpack a little bit of what's going on with what Jesus says. You notice Jesus only uses six of the commandments and not all ten? There's only six of them there. The six that deal with how we interact with other people, those are the six that are listed there. The six that deal with how we treat other people, how we treat our spouses, how we treat our parents, how we do business with other people, those are the commandments that are listed there. But Jesus very carefully and very strategically leaves out the first commandment the second one, the third one, and the fourth one, all which deal with how we interact with God. What's that first commandment? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. This rich young man accomplished six through ten with no problem. He was good enough in his own eyes. But in the eyes of God, there was one command that he was violating over and over and over again that you shall have no other gods before me. And as he is unpacking this command before this young man, he is telling him that if you have done all these things, I love you because you've done all these things. But now go and sell everything you have. Give them to the poor and then come and follow me. And the rich young man's face falls. He is saddened. He walks away depressed and disappointed. Why? Because there was one God that he had in his life above the God that he was standing in front of. There was one thing in his life that kept him from eternity, that kept him from loving the Lord his God with all his might, all his heart, and all his soul, and that was his money that kept him from loving God, that love for his own wealth, that kept him from serving God. Church, my question to you this morning what is it that keeps you from getting to closer to Jesus Christ today? What is that one thing or maybe two or three things that you keep in front of you as a barrier between you and the Lord this morning? What is it that you hold so dear and hold so precious in your life that if you were going to trade off, you would say, Lord, I would trade this for you? We've got to start asking ourselves the questions, what are the barriers we put between us and Jesus? This rich young man, very unknowingly in his life, as he was living a very moral and righteous life, in the middle of the morality, in the middle of the righteousness, he had erected a barrier between him and God. And that barrier kept him from being who God desired for him to be. If you haven't noticed, we've had a little bit of snow in New England lately. And I I sometimes think of it like this. What if we had a perfectly clear driveway and snowbanks uh, six, seven feet high on the sides of your driveway? But the driveway's clear, the car is in the garage, and we get up in the morning and we say, "Hey, I need to get out of the, the house, get the car out, and go into the street and get get to work." And instead of just getting in the car and driving off, we say, "Hey, but there's snow in my yard," and we start shoveling snow from the yard and throwing it into the driveway, and we shovel more snow from the yard and throw it into the driveway. It's very similar to this, that we build barriers between where we need to get to simply by thinking we need something. This rich young man said, I need wealth. I need riches. I need security in my life. I need my title. I need my fame. I need my youth. I need the power that I have in this world. I need these things. Therefore, I have to have them even if they put a barrier between me and the Lord. And it caused a barrier, it caused a rift, it caused an imperfection. And the rich young man comes with his resume before Jesus that, I've kept every commandment that you've asked me to keep. But in the end, Jesus is saying, yes, you may have kept every commandment, but you keep that first one, that you shall have no other gods before me. Church, what are the gods that we worship today instead of the almighty living God that we are called to worship? There are gods that we put up in our lives every day. Some of those gods are are time. Some of those gods are money, ambition, wealth, and relationships. Sometimes it's the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of happiness. Sometimes it's relationships with other people that we probably shouldn't be having relationships with. Those situations get in our way. They present barriers in our lives to get to where God has called us to be. And this rich young man comes to Jesus with all of his actions and Jesus is saying there's something missing in your action. There's something missing in the action that you have come with all this stuff that you do, but your heart is still far from me. You've come with all these righteous and good things that you've accomplished, but your heart is still a distance away from me amazing that Jesus does not bring up that first and most important commandment there. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. In fact, in the book of Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And this is the greatest commandment. What keeps us from all this morning? What keeps us from giving all to Jesus Christ? What keeps us from yielding and surrendering completely to his will and being completely submissive in our hearts? What prevents us from that? When we can identify what prevents us, then we have an opportunity to break that barrier down, remove that barrier, and get to where Jesus wants us to be. Because the rich young ruler decided, I will put a barrier between me and Jesus Christ, and that will be all that I need. You notice that he thought his works would get him eternal life. His good works, his good deeds would get him eternity and secure salvation for him because he thought his good deeds were more valuable than whatever Jesus had to offer. And here's the truth in this. Sometimes our good deeds, our good works blind us to the barriers that we've erected in our lives. Sometimes we say, hey, I go to church every week. I tithe every month. I I come to church and I serve on the worship team. I come up here and I preach once in a while or I go and I I teach Sunday school or help our children out. I do these things, therefore God must love me in church. Don't get me wrong. Every one of those things are critical to being a child of God and serving God and serving His people. They are critical, but here's the truth. Not one of those things will ever save you. Not one of those things will give you salvation. All of those things are critical elements, the fruits of our salvation, but they are not our salvation. Our salvation comes only through accepting Jesus Christ into our hearts as Lord and Savior and living a life that's worthy of Him. Too many times in our lives we think our good works will get us into heaven, but stop believing the lie this morning. No matter how good we are, we will never, ever be good enough. This rich young ruler thought he was good enough. I accomplished six of those commandments without fail. I never killed anyone. I never cheated on my spouse. I never bore false witness. I never did anything to violate those commands. And Jesus in his subtle and beautiful and loving way, is telling him, you may think you're perfect, but there's still stuff in your life that is holding you back from me. You may think you're good enough, but you'll never be good enough on your own. You'll never, ever be good enough on your own. Because in our minds, in our hearts, we've built up this cosmic scale. As long as I do one more good thing than bad things, then I'll make it into heaven. Jesus is showing us today that he is a perfect, holy God. There is no chance for any of us to stand in his presence if we've had one impure thought in our lives. If we've done one sinful thing in our lives, we have no access or right to him. Only through Jesus do we have that access. And he is providing that as a free gift to us, everyone in the world. The disciples have this question, Lord, if this rich young guy cannot be saved and cannot enter heaven, then who can be saved? And who can be saved? And Jesus responds beautifully, with man, this is impossible. But with God, this is possible. Do you see, with man, we can work and we can fight, we can build things, we can, we can serve God, we can feed the hungry, we can clothe the naked, we can visit the prisoner, every one of those things are important. But until we realize that without Jesus, I cannot see heaven, we will always, always have that barrier between us. That your good works and my good works are not enough because we are never going to be good enough. The book of Isaiah calls it, our righteousness is like filthy rags before Jesus because he is so perfect and holy and righteous. We have no way to get to him except if we accept him as our savior. There is only one way to heaven who can be saved. The answer to that, every one of us can be saved. But how can we be saved? Only through Jesus Christ can we be saved things that keep us from giving our all to him this morning. What are those things? The time, the money, the lack of time, the work, the family, the wealth, the ambition, all of those things that keep us from getting to Jesus Christ. It's time for us to remove those things this morning. We cannot earn our salvation. We cannot do good things to get into heaven. And the rich young ruler teaches us that I cannot get into heaven by the things that I do. But it's interesting how the disciples respond to what gets said there. The disciples respond like this. They were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich. Many translations will translate it as the, anyone who trusts in riches to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. The disciples are a part of this equation too. Later on in this very chapter, Peter speaks up and says, we have left everything to follow you. Peter is doing just the same thing that the rich young ruler is doing. He's saying that, Lord, I've left everything to follow after you. Won't my reward be great in heaven? Won't my salvation be even better than this rich young guy who did all the righteous things but didn't give up on what he's supposed to give up on? And Jesus again is telling them, yes, your reward will be great. The things that you've done on this earth are going to be so important. The reward for that will be wonderful. But once again, again, you cannot even get in the door unless you first acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, and let Him be the Lord and the King of your life. Your actions count for something, church, but they don't give us the salvation that we ultimately long for and look for. And this is why all of what we've read today about the rich young ruler and the disciples ultimately goes back to one thing. It goes back to the children. It goes back to Jesus and the children. When Jesus brought the little children up to him, and I said this before, it wasn't because of their purity and their innocence that Jesus blessed them and said the kingdom of God is for such as these. It was something so much deeper than that. You see, in society back then, if you were a rich young ruler, you were pretty much considered bound for heaven. Because you had all the things. You were blessed on this earth. That means in many ways, wow, you're a terrific person. If you followed all the commands and you were moral and you were a religious person, you are going to inherit eternal life. But children were different back then. Many times we look at this portion of Scripture through our eyes, through a society that values children. Us as parents, we value children. Or those of us who have nieces and nephews or friends with children, we will constantly value them, hold them, make them look precious in our sight because they're children, they're pure, they're innocent, we love them. But in society back then, children were not necessarily considered of any high importance or status. Children were considered many times property. Property. They were part of the equation of a family, but they were not considered special or unique. Notice how the disciples shoo away the children when they come to Jesus. They were not important. They had no status in the society. They could not own property. They were considered separate from most of the people of that time. There was nothing special, unique, or purposeful about children. It's in that setting that Jesus Christ opens his arms and says, let the children come to me. He's saying a very simple truth here that even if you have no status, even if you have no worth, even if you have no resume, there is a space here for you in this place with me that I have my arms wide open for you this morning, even if you have nothing to bring to the equation, even if you haven't followed the six commandments, the ten commandments, even if you've been a sinner, unworthy of love, my arms are open for you today with love ready to accept you in. Jesus loved the little children and it wasn't because of what they could bring. It wasn't because they deserved it. It's in fact because they didn't deserve it. It's because they had no worth. They had no right. They had nothing unique to bring to the equation. So Jesus loves them and shows everyone for such as these is the kingdom of heaven. For those who have no status, for those who have no resume to bring, theirs is the kingdom of God. And Jesus opens his arms and welcomes the little children into his presence to show the world, you may think they are worthless, but I love them so much because they are worthless. Because they are desperate in need of a savior, and that's why I love them. There's something about children that is important. It's not necessarily their purity and their innocence. It's the fact that they trust and depend on their parents. The fact that they trust and depend on their fathers and their mothers to take care of them, to love them, to need them. They need someone to look after them, and Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm there, and, I, and because of that trust, I can welcome them into my kingdom. There's something about the children that makes this so much more different. There's something that children bring to the equation, and simple fact, they don't bring anything to the equation. This morning when when Tim and Lauren and Jasmine were up here and, and the child was being dedicated to the Lord, she wasn't earning her salvation. She wasn't doing anything. In fact, she can't do anything to earn her salvation. Jasmine is just as likely to dunk a basketball like Tim than she is to earn her own salvation. It's not going to happen. There's nothing she can do. And that's why when we bring the child to the presence of God, we're saying, Lord, this is a gift that we got from you. We give that gift right back to you. And we honor you with the gift that we give right back to you. There is nothing that little Jasmine can do to earn her salvation and there's no works that she can do, no efforts that she can accomplish and it's a lesson to every one of us. There is nothing we can do to earn our salvation. All we can do is trust Jesus to earn our salvation. That without him, the equation is broken. Without him, it's pointless. We're all playing this game together where we want to get to heaven. We're all in this path to try to get there. But many times we're playing with a different set of rules. It's like me walking into an airport and trying to use my library card or my T pass to get through security. It's not going to work. Even though I'm trying to get somewhere, I'm playing by a different set of rules. And for every one of us who have decided my religious nature, my works will get me into heaven, this is all we have to say, that there is nothing that we can do or bring to change Jesus' mind or God's mind because we are always unrighteous, unholy, unless we put on the righteousness that Jesus provides for us. There was a famous preacher in the 1800s named Dwight L. Moody who would speak regularly about this topic of, of, of works and how we cannot earn our salvation. We cannot earn heaven by what we do, that we need Jesus to make it into the, to the eternal life. And Dwight L. Moody often talked about the thief on the cross who was next to Jesus Christ. You remember the thief who was hung next to him. One of the thieves would started a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus says that surely with you will be with me in paradise because the thief accepted Christ as his savior on the cross. And Dwight Moody writes like this, the thief on the cross had two nails piercing his hands. He could do no more work. He had a nail thrust through his feet. He couldn't go anywhere for Jesus. And yet Christ offered him the gift of God and he took it. You see that simple fact that that thief could do no more work, but he accepted Christ and paradise was guaranteed to him. This is where you and I have to start understanding that no matter what we do, we need Jesus first in that equation. And it's one of the hardest things because if you look at this rich young man who walks to Jesus, he falls on his knees and says, good teacher. He recognizes him as a good teacher. In fact, most of this world recognizes Jesus as a good teacher. If you ask a Muslim or or, a conscientious Hindu or a Buddhist, who do you think Jesus is? Many of them will say he's a good teacher. He taught good things about love and about taking care of others. He is a good teacher. Church, many see him as a good teacher, but not many see him as a savior. And that's the difference. You and I are here this morning with an opportunity to accept him as Lord, to accept him as savior. The book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says like this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's not by works. It's not by anything we have done. And what Jesus is doing is he shows the cho- using the children, he shows the rich young ruler and the disciples, he shows them all, That the only way into heaven is for you to flip the script that you currently have. That script that says, if I do good things, I'll get into heaven. Flip that script today and realize, unless I accept Jesus in my heart as my Lord, I will never see the kingdom of God. You've got to flip the script this morning. Acts 4 verse 12 says like this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And oftentimes what we think we need most is that which hinders us from getting to that place with Jesus Christ. This morning I'm going to ask you to ask yourselves, as I ask myself, what are those things that hinder me from a full and complete relationship with Jesus Christ? Is it money? Is it relationships? Is it ambition? Is it plans? Is it a love of self? Is it technology? Is it a need for security? Is it parenthood? Is it marriage? Is it religion? Do any of these separate you from Jesus Christ? Because this rich young ruler had it all in the eyes of the world, but he didn't come to Jesus like a child would come to Jesus, needing him, trusting him, depending on him, knowing there's nothing I can bring to the equation. Our trust has to be completely upon Jesus I've heard the story of two scientists who are going to travel to the Amazon to find a rare flower for the very first time, to discover it, name it, and bring it back for the scientific community to see and to study. They planned for many months, and they physically trained and got ready to travel down to the Amazon, and they searched for many days and weeks for this rare flower. Finally, deep within a chasm, within a cave, many, many feet down, they could see that rare flower poking out from within the cave. The problem was that the cave was way too narrow for either one of these large men to go down. So the scientists started to search around to look through villages and they found a young boy fishing by the river and they called the young boy over and they said to him, can we tie a rope around you and lower you into this cave so that you can retrieve that flower for us and bring it back up? The young boy looked down at the flower, looked at the cave, he looked at the rope, he looked at the two men and he asked them to wait as he went back into the village. He came back with a frail old man holding him by his hand, and he brings the frail old man, he hands him the rope, ties the rope around himself, and allows the frail old man to lower him into the cave to retrieve the flower and come back up. The scientists marveled at the flower, but they marveled more, asking the little boy, why would you let this frail old man lower you into this cave and not us, two big, strong men? Why did you let him do it? And the little boy responds, you see, this is my father this is my dad. And while you two are strong men, this man would give up his life before he ever let me lose mine. And that's why I trust him. Church, this morning we have come into the presence of God, the presence of a God who is willing to give up his life so that you would not lose yours. Come and he's ready to lower you in to take that flower, to, to pick that rare flower because he knows that he would rather give up his life than let you lose yours. There is a free gift being offered to every one of us today. And the question to us all is this, what do you find more valuable than that free gift? What have you placed in your heart, in your life that you think is more valuable than that free gift that's being offered to you today? The question is, who can be saved? The answer is, every one of us in this room, every one of us in the world around us can be saved. The bigger question, how can we be saved? And Jesus responds that sometimes the first will be last and the last will be first. So we've got to flip the script. How can we be saved? It's not our works. It's only by trusting upon Jesus Christ. It's only through trusting upon him. I'm going to ask our worship team to come forward this morning. When the disciples were interacting with Jesus, they once asked him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus responds like this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. There is no access to God. There is no access to heaven except through Jesus Christ. And it's a hard, difficult truth that we have to come to terms with today. That for many of us, we thought that, yeah, as long as I live a good life, I'll get to see Jesus. Jesus. The truth is unless we recognize the fact that our good works will never measure up to the holiness of a perfect God, that without Jesus and what he did on the cross and the forgiveness that he provides for us, there is no way, there is no access that we would have ever had. It's a song we sing like this, that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. The first will be last and the last will be first. Let's put it in perspective. The rich young man, he was first in this world, but God showed him that you would end up being last in the kingdom of God. Those children were last in this world, but God said they will be first in the kingdom of God because they come with nothing of their own. This morning, we come with nothing of our own and we say, Lord, we need you, and without you, there is no way. We are sinners in need of a Savior because we can look righteous, we can look right, we can look good, but I know that there are times when I can play that part. I can look really good, but only I know the blackness and the darkness of my own heart and the sin that floods it and how much I need Jesus. This morning, we have an opportunity to number one, to accept Jesus whether it's your first time or whether you need to rededicate your life to Christ, today's an opportunity for that. There's also an opportunity if you know of something that you have placed between you and God, if there's some barrier that you have placed, for the rich young ruler it was the love of money, but make no mistake, there are so many others. If there's something that you have placed between you and the Lord, today's an opportunity to confess that to the Lord and to let him know that I'm removing that from my life. I need you, Jesus. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes in the presence of God this morning. Before we take some time in worship, it's an opportunity for us to rededicate our lives to know that we have no right to enter heaven. We have no right to enter the kingdom of God. But because of what Jesus did, we have a free gift allowing us access into eternal life. And this morning, if you are asking the question, If something were to happen to me today, where would I spend eternity? And you don't have a sure and absolute response to that question. And this morning, you have an opportunity to guarantee a sure and absolute response. And the only guarantee comes through Jesus Christ. And if you are asking that question, if I were to die today, where would I be tomorrow? Heaven is your free gift, church but there's only one way in and there's only one ticket and that's Jesus Christ. And you have access to him today and that free gift. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with humble hearts, with love and gratitude for all that you have done. And we confess this morning, Lord, it's not by what we have done. It's only because of what you have done. It's only because of the sacrifice you made on the cross. It's only because of the blood that you shed for us that we would ever have access to eternity. It's because you loved us. You loved those children, you loved the rich young ruler, you loved the disciples, and you love us. You love us enough to give us access to eternity. And we thank you for that this morning. Father, I pray for every person here who has the question about their eternity, who wonders where they may be tomorrow, And I pray that you would give them the freedom to understand that you provide a free gift to them, Lord God. I pray that you would meet them, Lord Jesus, and help them to understand that you, O Lord, are the only access to eternity. That our good works cannot save us. And Father, I pray for every person here this morning who has placed barriers between you and them, who has placed some sort of barrier between serving you stronger and loving you more and growing in you more. I pray you'd help us to remove those barriers and help us to serve you with a closer heart, with a stronger love for you, Lord. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for every blessing. Meet us now as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.